Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Business of Sport podcast on The Athletic. Matt Slater with us as usual. And later in the pod, we'll discuss the news that the UK government has approved the £4.25 billion takeover of Chelsea by a consortium led by LA Dodgers co-owner Todd Burdell. First up, though, a discussion on the reasons and ramifications of La Liga filing a complaint to UEFA, the French Administrative Court and the European Union over Kylian Mbappe's decision to renew his contract at Paris Saint-Germain, despite Real's attempt to sign the player since last summer. An official statement from La Liga on Saturday said that it was scandalous that PSG could afford to make the deal stating that it attacks the integrity of European football. So joining us to get a perspective from both sides, we're joined by David Diaz, a partner at Baker McKenzie Madrid, who has extensive experience in sports law and football, regularly advising Spanish and foreign clubs on the legal aspects of their operations. And he also has extensive experience in advising foreign investors with a potential interest. And for insight into Paris Saint-Germain, we have Christian Nuri, works for sports analytics firm Retexo Intelligence, a sports analytics firm that uses data to match owners to prospective football clubs and works with clubs to market their players more effectively to clubs seeking players with similar characteristics. Christian, let, let me start with you. I, I obviously understand the value of Kylian Mbappe on the pitch to Paris Saint-Germain. What are the values to Paris Saint-Germain of Kylian Mbappe off the field? Well, I think it comes to this central tenant that over the last 10 years across European football, the focus in terms of the potential gain and marketability of individuals over a team is becoming more and more apparent, especially for younger generations generations gone by his first exposure to football was through uh, going with a parent to a match to see your local team on the weekend now you're seeing you know teenagers and youngers first exposed to football being a mixture of tiktok youtube skill compilations and uh most importantly video games ea sports is fifa and, and football manager and, and things like that and it's been as a result of those trends that young fans are more interested in players and therefore looking to support four or five teams as they grow up where their fa- more favorite players are than even teams themselves. And so Kylian Mbappe is 100% the biggest young talent in the world. On top of that, it's allowed by Saint-Germain to demonstrate off the pitch that this is a brand that is going to potentially continue to last past the Qatar World Cup of 2022. Many were speculating whether or not QSI would continue to invest and be focused on it after the World Cup later this year. But also it sends a message that um, this man from Bondi in Paris is willing to remain at the number one club in Ligue 1. And it's a good message for the league too. And that's actually one of the points that I find really quite interesting in all of this. Before we bring David in, this feels more than just about a club. 
this feels like the first big signing, even though he hasn't moved anywhere, that really is about a league. And maybe even as well, Christian, about a whole country. If rumours if rumors are to be believed, and the French political elite got involved in this discussion as yeah. well, th- this is more than just club keeps player. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they did. Macron is a big football fan and he has liked to get involved as much as possible across many things in French football since he was first elected president. And Mbappe confirmed, I believe, in the press conference earlier this week that he had spoken to, to Macron. So this could not come at a better time for Ligue 1. Um, Ligue 1 has just received the CVC deal, which uh, we can maybe get into and the differences between the Ligue 1 CVC deal and the Liga CVC deal in a second. But to, to paint the picture of French football as a result of being the only one of Europe's top five leagues not to finish the 2019-20 season during COVID-19, clubs lost out on about 400 million euros worth of TV rights revenue. Then they signed a new deal with a broadcaster that folded within 10 months and the domestic TV rights money went from 1.15 billion euros a year down to 650 million euros a year now with Amazon having saved it. We had seven or eight teams that were on the verge of bankruptcy without the CVC deal. And there are three, still three or four teams that are going to really struggle with it to, to be able to survive in the top French two divisions. So to be able to uh, send the message to the enormous amount of North American and elsewhere foreign investment that is coming into football at the moment from an acquisition activity standpoint that actually Mbappe is going to be here until 2025 is phenomenally important. And this is happening at a time when basically every club is for sale in in those top two divisions. And David, I noticed you nodding at at that question, which I'm guessing is, explains for many reasons why La Liga got involved in all of this, because this isn't just club keeps player, is it? Well, uh, this is a unique um, matter, to be honest. And I think the because of the unique player we're talking about and, and all the additional topics that uh, Christian just mentioned. I, I think that La Liga, it's obviously in, in defense, it's very vocal when it comes to the fair play uh, regulations, the financial fair play regulations it has been extremely vocal because of, because this is a, um, a topic which is key for La Liga and, and for the growth and the sustainability of La Liga. So I was not so surprised when I when I read the statement from from La Liga because you know Javier Tebas has strong personality and has strong views on important matters and this is very important because at the end it it's a matter of how La Liga can keep La Liga itself in the path for growth for the next three four years and how they can go back to the levels before COVID and and I think that's that's part of the fight that they are now. Uh, going into obviously for La Liga having Mbappe in Madrid will have been a boost uh, once that uh, Messi is not in 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 Spain anymore and Cristiano Ronaldo left years ago so it's um it, it was uh, it was I would say a challenge beyond one player and, and I agree that everything surrounding this this steady hand between clubs goes beyond two clubs I think it it also involved countries, three countries, and it also involves Olympic Games and, and a player that most likely will have an impact in the football for the next 10, uh, 12 years. So it's, uh, it's difficult. And, 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 and here, I think that the La Liga has been very focused on selling the benefits of a very strict financial play. So seeing other teams competing without that rules 
financially speaking. Uh, I think it's something that raises a question about to which extent, and as UEFA is doing, and we can talk uh, on that in a minute, um, it, it are going in the same directions. And, and to which extent we should have across at least Europe the same financial uh, fair play rules to make really fair in the broad sense of the word the competition. David, I wonder if I could just um, pick up on that point you're making. And I'm, I'm really interested by La Liga's statement as well. I thought it was remarkable in lots of ways, but yeah, there's, a lot, there's a lot in there that's, that's, that's good and interesting. But is there not a contradiction, an inherent contradiction between this idea that they, Tebas is pushing financial fair play to create a more competitive league, a more compelling league, dare I say, a league slightly more like the English Premier League. I know it's a bit of a fantasy at times, but there is this idea that the Premier League is the most competitive league and that allowing Barca and Real, in particular those two, to dominate La Liga has been bad for Spanish football. So to rein them in slightly is good. But then Tabas appears to be saying in the sort of same breath, I know it's not quite the same breath because he's been saying it for a few years, but we want Galacticos. Galacticos are good. Is there not a contradiction there? I think it's not. And basically because there are different topics here. One is to make a football industry in Spain financially sustainable and growing in the mid-long term, building upon what they already did. And the other thing is that complying with those rules, the teams are able to, to have the best players in the world. And it happens to be that in La Liga, we have Real Madrid and Barcelona, which are big giants. And they are, and we have seen it in the case of Messi, feeling the pain of how the rules can be strictly applied. So I think these different topics, obviously, I, I can understand that such an, a strict regulation in Spain may uh, leave some teams with a lot of difficulties to have the best players. But, but I think it's a bet for the mid and the long term uh, of the competition and to have a sustainable growth uh, coming back from years ago, years ago, when the Spanish football was not at all in a good financial shape and was not playing under the rule that it should. Uh, a follow-up really to, to Christian. Um, you know, going back to the Liga statement. So the second paragraph, the second sentence, I, I don't expect you to remember it, but it, it is scandalous that a club like PSG, which last season reported losses of more than 220 million euros after accumulating losses of more than 700 million euros in prior seasons. And then he goes on about the reporting sponsorship income, a doubtful valuation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Things we've heard Tebas say before. But go back to that, 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 that central fact. It is a fact. I've got the accounts as well. They lost 225 million euros last year. They lost 125 million euros the year before. How are they doing this? They'll lose about 110 million euros this season as well. The first thing is that let's wait for all of this to play out and see just how different the numbers that were being offered by Real Madrid versus the numbers being offered by PSG from a financial perspective actually are. Now, I think the Spanish press is basically descended into a depression in the last five, six days because uh, they were so shocked by this news. But the, the sense that I'm getting more and more speaking to people in and around the club is that Mbappe has been given decision-making powers or input at least across both who the sporting director is going to be. His recommendation is Luis Campos. Luis Campos is about to be appointed the new sporting director of Paris Saint-Germain. And also 
he has been able to convince with his family that the club undergoes a whole audit under under the purview of the Emir of Qatar. And there's an enormous amount of wastage and, and certain things that have been completely unacceptable to go on in a football club that have gone on at Paris Saint-Germain for 10 years. So I, I think we're slightly missing the amount of, I guess, soft power that Mbappe is going to get from this that actually has nothing to do with money. Now, money is certainly a part of it, but it's not the whole equation. And I think in terms of the, the statement in general, Tebas has decided to go out on his own with spending controls that go way above the current FFP rules. And the same problem that FFP version one had, I see these spending rules having in that the, the, the cap by team by team basically prevents or makes it a little bit more complicated in a short space of time for teams that are slightly less competitive in the divisions to compete if a new investor was able to come in and, and inject quite considerable capital over a short period of time. I'm not sure that that achieves increased competitiveness, at least in the short term. I don't also really buy this idea that it's going to help to convince international broadcasters to spend more money on La Liga. Broadcasters care about, in my view, two things. One, that the league doesn't disappear halfway through a contract. Pretty important. And two, otherwise, it's how can you build the most entertaining product? And Lionel Messi leaving La Liga because Barcelona couldn't overstep the spending cap after a disastrous three or four years of transfer dealings doesn't seem super pro broadcaster to me. But I think on top of that, the, the, the problem that Spanish football has, and it's one that Mbappe has realized as well, is that the style and pace of play and types of players that have been formed in that division is actually the most unique out of the rest of Europe's top five leagues. And this has major implications for player trading. It's becoming more and more difficult for a mid-table Spanish side to find markets for their players outside of kind of upmarket Spain because the football is overwhelmingly less physical and more technical. And then in the meantime, Italian football that was probably closest in style is kind of going more and more towards the aggressively high-pressing, super-physical style in Germany, England, and France, because we're seeing an influx of American investment and American investors who want to be seeing that style of play being played. And so I think Spanish football is in massive danger of marooning itself. And these medium to long-term bet on making the league in the short term less competitive is only going to exacerbate that problem. And then the other point, and sorry, this is a bit of a tangent, but the other point about La Liga that I think is significant, and it's it was in, it was I don't know if it was in Tebas' statement, but I've seen a lot from La Liga, is this is going to make clubs more viable or more interesting to buy for foreign investors. Now, of course, you know, every client that we have feels more comfortable in a DD process if a company in any industry is debt-free. And so on the outset, you can argue that's a good development. But Actually, because of a couple of more recent factors, we've seen valuations skew in a way that hasn't made it incredibly attractive for North American capital that's looking to buy a team somewhere in Europe's top five leagues to buy that. The arrival of the CBC money basically gave a bunch of presidents in the second division and at the bottom of the first division this idea that they could 2-3x their EV, their enterprise value, and made demands that didn't seem completely in reality. Some of those demands are now coming down a bit. But the other point is I think that wealthy individuals or institutional capital expect to have to roll their sleeves up a bit when they look at buying a football team. And as long as the cash out demands are somewhat reasonable, if the debt is considerable and, and as long as the lenders and creditors are not obscure or opaque entities, the idea of a club being indebted in a structured way is not a life or death issue, in my experience, for incoming investors in European football. For example, I was pouring over a club yesterday that's for sale in La Liga, has been for sale for about 12 months, it's virtually debt free but they can't find a buyer. And, you know, the main reason is you can buy a historical club in France for four times less the value than you can, you know, in terms of the value of that club, which was about 200 million euros. So 
I think the picture is 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 actually pretty complicated. And Tevas likes to be quite aggressive in his style. Is more and more far less to do with Mbappe and more and more to do with some of these structural realities that are going on, which are far more significant than a player. Just something you said about style of play in the other four leagues, maybe less less appropriate to the Bundesliga with their ownership model. Do you think North American investment has demanded a change in the style of play for clubs in, in the Premier League and Liga and Serie A? In Italy, definitely. They, they're all reading The Athletic and they're all reading about pressing. And then they, no, it's true. It's true. I, I, we have clients who do that when they're looking to buy a team. So definitely Italian football, I think, is changing in a major way. The data is super compelling just on this season compared to two seasons ago in terms of uh, a lot of the kind of key metrics that you're looking for, intensity of press, but also amount of kilometers covered per game, et cetera, et cetera. If we're going to see a continued wave of this change of ownership of teams, then we are going to see styles of play change. The other really significant element is that a number of these groups coming in are attempting to do multi-club. And in order to do multi-club successfully, you need the teams within your multi-club pyramid to be playing somewhat of a similar style of play so that eventually you can move play from club B to club A in a more seamless way. So, no, I, I fully wholeheartedly believe that investors, if they come at the same time with a similar mindset and buy multiple teams, can have an impact on the style of playing the league, absolutely. David, just your response to some of the things that Christian said, but particularly the, the valuation, say, of, of La Liga clubs compared to similar clubs in Liga. Yeah, I think no, that's a quite interesting point. And, and on, some, on the topic that Christian mentioned, I think that there's one thing. What La Liga is creating, one of the consequences of, of the financial fair play that they're applying is creating a safe environment for investment. And that is very important when you come from the outside and you, you want to put a number of millions in a different country. That's one thing. In a different country and in an industry which is based on a game. Second, in my experience, what I have seen, in, in especially in U.S. investors, uh, is that they come here, they feel comfortable with environment. You are typically reviewing opportunities of class with close to zero debt. Uh, and the concern that they have is if they come from professional American leagues, is relegation, which culturally is a shock and obviously could have a, a humongous impact in the valuation of the asset in the next year, next season. Second is the ownership of the stadium. The Spanish club, not only the stadiums, which is the majority of, of La Liga, Primera and Segunda, it's something that is a shock for them. Uh, you know, I'm going to, to buy a club who's playing in a stadium which is not owned by the club, is by the city typically. That's hard to understand. Uh, but when you provide 50, 70 years lease, that looks okay. And that makes something that which is absolutely acceptable. And then how they can increase the commercial revenues, which is probably one of the pending topics for the Spanish clubs, especially on the on the game day and, and generally speaking, the commercial revenues. And then the academy, which is very important. And that tackles also with the with the point of, of Christian about the, the style and to which extent, and it's an interesting topic, the ownership from a given country in a league could change the, the, the style of the game. And I think that obviously this is not happening in Spain. The style has become more or less steady since we, in the previous year, um, then we won the World Cup. And I think probably will remain the same. I understand that there's been a little bit more physical and, and because I think the game in Spain became faster uh, and that's that's something that probably we're looking into into players that could be more physical, but at the same time keeping uh, the technical skills that has been the sign of identity of the Spanish football. Uh, and we have seen that. I don't think that that has been an issue. That 
the type of the style of play here in Spain, an issue for, for players to be transferred. And we have seen very successful. I, I don't see that point. What I see is that there are more competition between players to go to the major leagues. And you have seen players for many. I mean, you have seen players from the US in the last three years, which is unreported in the last 10 years. You see now the players are having an impact in their teams coming from the US, which was something that, that we were not used to that. So something is changing, but still, I think there is a point there. And, and in terms of the investment, and you mentioned the CBC deal and the valuation and the gap between seller and buyer, I can see that. And, and that's a fair point. But I also think that at the same time, if you have a club uh, receive, I don't know, 30, 60, 60 million from CBC deal, I, I think that you will have a, a in, the, in the near future, you could invest in infrastructure, you can invest in the, in the stadium, you can invest in the, in the training facilities. I mean, at the end, you can have a better academy. So I think that, yes, there might be at least temporarily a gap between the expectation of both parties. But at the end, the value of the assets will be higher. And, and I have no, no doubt about it. David, just um, with your lawyer's hat on, um, just returning to the, the La Liga statement and, and some of the things that Tebas has been talking about over the last year or so, he's clearly very disappointed with UEFA. And there is this suggestion. In fact, it's a, they say they're going to do it. They're going to complain to UEFA. They're going to complain to the European Union, the French authorities as well. Do you think they have any prospects of success? What will this complaint look like? What do you expect to happen? Well, I think that there's, there's, there's two angles to this. One is challenging the, the system itself. Clearly, what, what the financial federal regulation of UEFA will look like and will start in apparently to be in place uh, by, by the beginning of season 23-24, uh, I think that will be a change. And it, it clearly goes in the direction that the Liga has been uh, moving towards over the last, I would say, 10 years. So, so that's, that's one thing. And, and, and clearly, if UEFA is now moving towards this point where the Liga is for a number of years, it's because there might be some, some strong reason to do that. That's, that's, that's one, one point. And on the other hand, I think that legally speaking, at the end, you want to, to have competition in which, in which the teams can play uh, under the same rules. But I also mean financial rules. I'm not sure whether that will reach the point of being, uh, I would say, in breach of the Andras and, and the EU competition laws, uh, which probably will be the, the end line for this. But what is very clear is that Another thing which is very relevant, and is that maybe the second angle, is how do you apply the rules? I mean, we know that there has been some question raised on the value of the sponsors from, from some of the clubs who apparently are not aligned with the financial fair play regulation that the Liga is holding. And, and that is very relevant. Just to give you an example, uh, UEFA is planning to do exactly what the Liga has been doing for more than 10 years. If, if I, I mean, we have cases here in Spain. If a club with a new owner brings a sponsor for the, for the team for a value of 30 million for three seasons. What the Liga does is, is sending this contract and the valuation of the asset to an expert, a well-reputed company, and they say, no, it's not 30. The, value, the market value, the fair market value is three. And that comes three, which is the reality. It's not only about challenging the system and how, what are the rules, but also how do you apply them and how you can have fair market value for the assets when you factor that into the overall application of the rules. I'm aware that um, 
neither of you obviously speak for Paris Saint-Germain or Real Madrid, but when you look at this battle between them, however you want to describe it, do you think both look at the other one slightly enviously? Do you think Christian Paris Saint-Germain wished they could be recognised as having a bit more heritage and a bit more football history, for want of a, a better word? And David, I wonder if Real Madrid wished they could be a bit more nimble if you to put it like that, like Paris Saint-Germain, Christian first. Well, listen, I think Real Madrid is the best football brand in the world. I think actually there was a brand values paper published today that's confirmed for the first time ever it's both, both the most valuable and most powerful brand in the world. And I think Real Madrid, a lot of what they've done is immensely smart. What I was talking about at the beginning about catering to these younger audience who love these young players with huge potential. I mean, Vinicius Jr., Rodrigo, Eduardo Camavinga, they've actually been following this strategy, I guess, privately, but also quite explicitly, if you're watching what's happening, it seems from the outside looking in. And, and you know, what are they going to do to try and get over this Mbappe disappointment? Looks like they're going to try and sign Noelian Chouameni, the French midfielder from Monaco. Everyone views him as the heir apparent to Angolo Conte in terms of the next five, ten years. So I think Real Madrid is a brilliantly run club. I think Paris Saint-Germain have probably a lot more to envy of Real Madrid than the other way around. Paris Saint-Germain have basically been able to impact French football with this decision, I think, in a much more significant way than, than necessarily they've impacted themselves from a purely on-the-pitch perspective. But I think it's really what comes of this Kylian Mbappe re-signing in terms of what the club is now doing internally with the first order the Emir has ever ordered in 10 years across all of the departments of the club the removal of Leonardo as sporting director and his replacement with probably the pound-for-pound pound best hand spotter in the world. I think Mbappe's re-signing had an enormous amount of sporting and organizational conditions that we will never publicly know about, but also won't even really understand the significance of until in 12 months' time. But of course, Paris Saint-Germain is super jealous of Real Madrid, even if even if Florentino and, and Nasser are very good friends. David? Well, I think that, that, that few people expected for Mbappe to, to stay in, in PSG. So that's a fact. I don't think that Real Madrid expected that. I think at the end, like in many uh, transfer or potential transfer, the player has the word, especially when you have, as you mentioned earlier, not only um, a huge salary, but also uh, decision-making vote on the sport uh, football operation of the club, which for me is a game changer in terms of, 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 of attempts uh, offered to a, formally offered to a player. But, but I think that with that step, Ahead, PSG has clearly um, um, featured as a as a main contender in in the in the European football. Um, it it is still pending to see to which extent that could also be converted into uh, trophies and and championship beyond France. And I think that's obviously the main challenge. Uh, but uh, I would say that from that point of view, it's uh, Real Madrid would love to have the stars, but. At the same time, while having in the past the, the Ronaldos, now the Benzema, they have also been betting for young players. And that's a point that Christian mentioned very rightly because he has had a commercial impact. I mean, having uh, Rodrigo, having uh, Vinicius, but also having and being betting years ago for Asensio while he was in Mallorca, for Valverdes, Lucas, Nacho, a number of players that have been young, talented, mid-class now upgraded to top class in a team. So that has been the bet. So Real Madrid didn't go crazy with that. They were, they want to be on top, but at the same time being sustainable. And the management that they did financially 
um, with, uh, with COVID impact, I think has been remarkable. I don't think that there's any club probably in Europe with a most successful management of the situation. I mean, they've been lucky because they had the, the work for Venable going on while the, the pandemic was going on, but they, did, they were not crazy. I mean, not comparing with Barcelona, but comparing with other, other clubs in, um, in, in Europe. And, and on the other side, they didn't, they didn't go crazy when dealing with stars. I mean, Ronaldo wanted to leave. He left. Sergio Ramos wanted to leave because he was not in agreement. He had an, an, an steady hands with Florentino and it didn't work. But the club is still there and it's going to play on Sunday, uh, having the chance to get the, the 14th uh, Champions League title. So, so I think that's, that's something which, uh, which obviously makes this extremely exciting uh, on the both sides of the Pyrenees. Just one for me. It just, um, it's a part of the deal that I don't think has had much... Um, analysis so far. I mean, lots of people have picked up on this influence that Mbappe's clearly got now with decision making, which I think is really interesting in terms of player power and this whole concept of the player being bigger than the team and all that. It's the element around his image rights because we saw a little bit of this with the French national team, I think, earlier this year. Um, Mbappe himself talked about wanting to be aligned with brands, products, projects that that, that, that he cares about, you know, and I, I look at his sponsors and they're actually pretty obvious for a guy, you know, it's, it's, it's Hublot and it's Nike and it's, there's nothing, there's nothing particularly like, wow, uh, you know, about, about the brands he's, he's, he's backing and they do obviously, you know, not PSG wear Nike, so does he. What do you think he means by this? Has he been given all of his image rights? Has he got a complete opt out from PSG? I mean, does he have a say over PSG's sponsorship partnerships? Is it? No, 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 no. You know, I, I want to just clarify. I do not believe that the situation is Mbappe decides who the club signs. It's just that uh, he will be heard by Nasser and, and the future sporting director, I think, in a way that other players necessarily won't. Now, player power at Paris Saint-Germain is probably the biggest reason why they haven't won a Champions League. It's created divisive, divisive dressing rooms. Uh, and, a, and an environment that's, I guess, almost sometimes hallucinatory with, with a coach telling players they're going to do, be doing one thing and then the captain going to the president and asking them to do something completely different. I mean, that was basically a common occurrence. But what they've done here is sort of decided, let's double down on this idea, but with an individual who's probably the biggest star in world football, an individual who is incredibly mature, is incredibly well surrounded by a family that understands sport and cares about sport and actually maybe that's going to result in more discipline across the board rather than just a bunch of different players being able to do a bunch of different things. In terms of the image rights issue, I don't believe that he has 100% of his image rights. We don't know, though, at the moment, and we'll, we'll, we'll see how that shakes out. But I think the image rights issue, especially when you, when you speak to uh, increasingly football agents but also players, is going to be you know, one of the defining issues of the next two, three years. It's not just about which brands can I choose to be represented by. It's about why does the club have my rights to NFTs? It's about why am I not being paid for the fact that I'm in the FIFA game or football manager or this, that, and the other. And these may sound silly, but actually as a 19, 20, 21-year-old player, that's your kind of first exposure to this issue. It's like, oh, I get to play as myself, but why don't I get any of any of those funds when I'm playing a game on, on a flight to from one, one destination to another? So I think that's going to be a, a massive watch watch topic, especially now that it's kind of EA and FIFA are in their own battle over 
what exactly is going to happen as it pertains to that game. So Real Madrid is also my understanding we're willing to offer him like unprecedented levels of control on, on the image rights that he would have been able to retain or not. So again, I'm, I don't think it was it was a factor, but I don't think it was a massive differentiator between the two offers either. Just a final one uh, before we go, which has nothing to do really with, with Real Madrid or Paris Saint-Germain, but we're recording this on the day that the UK government has approved the £4.25 billion takeover of Chelsea. Does it completely change the marketplace across Europe, David, that deal for potential future investors in clubs? I think it will have an impact. But to be honest, the circumstances so specific surrounding the the the, the sale of um, of Chelsea, I think it will will probably minimize that impact. But clearly, there is a mark in terms of the valuation of a club. If you see financially, I mean, the situation of the club was not uh, in a good shape, but still the valuation was really high. So so I think it will it will set up a standard, but probably not um, as deep as we think. Uh, I think it's it's at the end good news that at least the transition from the deal perspective has been made swiftly. We're still pending, I think, from the government approval, as you were saying, and and that's something that will happen. So I I think it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a good news, but uh, I'm I'm really eager to see how the transformation of the club will take place. And and I think in this case, where the club is sitting will will make a difference in terms of potential but also had an impact on the evaluation. I'm quite eager to understand how the, the transformation, especially financially from a club who's been, from what I read, losing like, like uh, 900,000 pounds a week for the last uh, seven years will, will come into a profitable club because I don't see a US investor uh, losing money on a basis of, of, of that amount for many years, to be honest. Christian, your thoughts? I think it's a fascinating case study in probably the first major club being majority owned by private equity when we're talking about the kind of top six, eight clubs, probably AC Milan and Elliott was the most recent biggest example. So concur with a lot of what David is saying about how do you turn this club that was not run for break even or profit into something that looks uh, even a little bit more like that, especially when I think the next 18 months in order to maintain the sporting performance of the club, they're going to have to continue to invest quite considerably because of the difficulties that this whole uh, government freezing of, of assets and partial licenses had on transfer activity uh, and a and bunch of players actually joining Real Madrid and, and well, Barcelona mainly uh, from Chelsea. So I think uh, fascinating that it got done, truly unprecedented situation. I think it does set a bit of a marker for a couple of other Premier League clubs who uh, are maybe or maybe not available, depending on how, how hard people push in that top six in the next 18 months. Good stuff, Christian. David, thank you very much for joining us. Fascinating discussion. Really appreciate uh, your insights. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Plenty more on that Chelsea takeover on The Athletic, including Liam Toomey's piece on the challenges ahead for the new owners. There's also James Pierce's exclusive interview with Liverpool chairman Tom Werner. And you can subscribe now for just a pound a month. Head to theathletic.com slash football pod. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.